Because no race has the last word on culture and on civilization. They do not know what we are capable of. They do not know what we are thinking. They are thinking in terms of dreadnoughts, battleships, aeroplanes, submarines. You know what we are thinking about? That is our own private business. You are listening to The Brown CEO. listening to the brown ceo i'm your host selma idris follow the conversation every week as i speak to some of the dopest minds from around the planet about what's broken and how we're going to fix it this is the conversation between us every tuesday yalla let's go hello and welcome to episode six of the brown ceo i am your host selma idris Europe after graduation, a middle to upper middle class coming of age, thought to inspire and center the individual before beginning their futures. Travel is edifying, it's ego nourishing. A trip gives you the ability to breathe, to think, to be outside of your surroundings, be vulnerable to new experiences without the safety net of home. And amongst a million other things, discovering new joy and confidence and being an independent, free-moving individual with choices on the building blocks and people you want to build your life with. That's dope, right? There's a lot to a trip like that and a lot that a trip like that can do for a young person who's coming of age. But what is immeasurable is the contribution that a confident and inspired individual can do for their community upon their return. Organizations like Birthright Israel, the largest education travel organization in the world, have sent over 650,000 young Jewish adults to Israel to ensure the vibrant future of the Jewish people by strengthening Jewish identity Jewish communities, and the connection with Israel. Because disconnection has consequence for people, for culture, for nations, and for the soul. On our agenda today is a conversation with co-founder and executive director of Birthright Africa, Wala al-Sheikh. Our program is about identifying what's broken and discussing how to fix it. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome a nonprofit director and basically a fixer. Uh, welcome, Wala. Thank you for having me. Very happy to have you. Tell us more about Birthright Africa. I mentioned Birthright Israel. Yes. Um, which is something people might be familiar with. Yes. So Birthright Africa, similar to Birthright Israel, provides free travel to the continent. And we are inspiring youth and young adults of African descent ages 13 to 30 to explore their cultural roots and legacy of innovation, first in the U.S., and then it culminates with the 10-day trip to Africa. And you couldn't have said it better the way you said it in your introduction of Birthright Israel. It was something that inspired me when I heard about it uh, coming of age at 25 and Mm -hmm. learning of two Jewish friends who were about to take their birthday trip. And I said, why isn't this happening for Mm -hmm. black people? And I feel the disconnection, even as uh, someone born on the continent, but having come here at the age of 11, I hadn't been back in 15 years and recognized this is a need. If I feel this, then a bunch of us must need this. And we don't learn our history in Mm -hmm. K through 12 systems at the depths that we should. 
And so we're growing up really not knowing who we are and all the contributions that we've made throughout history. Mm -hmm. And it does impact you as you move forward in life and career and create, you know, certain self-doubt, certain lack of confidence, especially in a system where we know racism and oppression, particularly towards African descended people, has persisted for a while. So when did you when did you start the organization? When did you you said when you were 25, you saw folks going off on birthright Israel and you said, you know, what's your origin story? Like, what were you doing at 25? So at the time I was uh, starting my career in the finance field, working at Goldman Sachs in their finance division, had studied finance undergrad, thought that was going to be my career for life. I landed in the top investment burn bank that everyone else was going to try to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it dawned on me around the time that I discovered Birthright Israel that I wasn't necessarily as excited by finance in the Wall Street sense and wanted to do more impact and empowerment of communities. And st- long story short, I realized education was my passion. And so then connecting the dots with the concept of Birthright Africa and just knowing I had to be a part of this organization starting, I realized, okay, cultural development is part of education. Mm -hmm. So this is how I can bridge my passion for education, my passion for our people and empowering them and ultimately registered the website first and foremost in 2007. You know, this is when the internet is now like your first stop for a business, even before you incorporate. And so I registered it in 07, but I was still, you know, coming out of the finance field, dabbling in education, figuring out what area of nonprofit education I really wanted to work in. And sat on the Birthright Africa idea for a minute to really get a sense of what I was trying to do with the mission, mm-hmm. recognizing it was such a big idea, so much bigger So you than knew me. it as soon as you heard it? Like you heard somebody, your friends going to Birthright yeah. Israel, and you said, we have to have this yeah. for it, us. Like and that's, that, that was moment. your... moment. Oh, wow. But it took two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At 25. Great. Yeah. Because I hadn't gone to the continent, recognized how much I didn't know about mm-hmm. myself, I mean, literally, I had a girlfriend who had to check me because I was one of those black immigrant children Uh where, like, we came to America for education, for opportunity. I'm getting access. I'm getting my college degree. I don't understand what this black struggle is. And so America was this. What do you mean you don't understand what the black struggle is? why am I the only black person in my honors classes? Why is there issues of poverty in black community okay. at a, you know, disparate percentage? Why is there, you know, why are we not seeing as many leaders and entrepreneurs of African descent? It didn't make sense to me because when you come from a culture or a land where you see a prevalence of doctors, lawyers, government officials, right, coming from... uh having parents who are well-educated, having been in my country just two years out of my life, but seeing people at all levels of society, it didn't mm-hmm. make sense to me why there was a challenge in America around progressing and as you a black person. When were, how, because you have a interesting story too. Yeah. So you were born in Sudan. Yes. And then you left when you were two. One. One. So I don't remember Sudan until we came back 
from Sweden. So my dad was. So a you diplomat. went from Sudan, then you moved to Sweden. Yes, lived there for six, seven years. Okay. So my first recollections as a child, as a in child, Sweden. are Sweden. And uh, then we went to Sudan when I was seven. My dad was finding his next assignment as a diplomat and. We went to Sudan for about a year. I did the first grade in a British American school. And then he got placed in Uganda. We went there. I went for second and third grade uh, in American school. Went back to Sudan for fourth grade. Government gets toppled over by the current Bashir mm -hmm. administration, which we see all kinds of uprising against now. And then my dad had to find the next job because he was basically let go of the government and he got an assignment with the UN in New York and that's my coming to America like story, story as I like and to so say that was would you say City. fourth grade so I came here and entered fifth grade fifth grade so that's fairly older too so it's 10 11, 11 years old okay yeah. yeah um but all that to say your foundations were fairly in the dia between the diaspora and Sweden between Sudan and Uganda exactly I mean between the continent and Sweden sorry yeah. yes and when you grow up overseas, America is this beacon of culture that you're aspiring towards. Mm -hmm. You still have that very prevalently today. Um, you know, when you grow up and see icons like Michael Jackson or you're watching the Cosby show at four years old in Sweden, you're thinking this is America. This is a great place yeah. of opportunity. And so you come and as a child, you just, you know, get seeped into and immersed in Black culture as a Black immigrant child, and you just feel the positives of it. I also grew up in a fairly um, mixed-income area of Queens called Briarwood, where you had all kinds mm -hmm. of immigrants, uh, all kinds of income levels. School was very diverse. I was coming from very diverse schooling at the American school in Uganda. So... I was cocooned by diversity and yeah. my black identity was never a negative thing that I felt until, you know, you get into the workspace and you start recognizing some kind of um, perceptions. Like that where you, you, you said, where's everybody else? <laughs> Why yeah, am I like, the only one here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, at school it was subdued because you're kind of part of an immigrant culture mm -hmm. growing up in New York City. So your black identity as an immigrant child is connected to immigration just as much as it may be to black culture. And again, you're reaping or seeing the positives on TV. You're not growing. If you're not growing up in the ghetto or if you're not growing up in poverty, you're not exposed to the challenges and hearing the stories intergenerationally of, you know, folks who grew up under Jim Crow racism. I didn't have the grandparents that could tell me those stories, yeah. right? Like I had to read. And you weren't learning it in school. And so, you're not yeah. learning it in school. Yeah. That's the key, key part. Yeah. If anything, you're learning, okay, there was this civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, but it's like lost everything's over. better. And everything's better now. And now Don't we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> and then you come with this immigrant mentality like, oh, yeah, I'm getting my education. I'm getting opportunity. And I was succeeding. Like, I was academically inclined. I was doing well in school. Everything was on track. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you heard Birthright Israel. And then I heard Birthright <laughs> Israel. And it made me realize, oh, I don't really know who I am. Yeah. Like, and I... 
I had a girlfriend, like I said, check me on, because I was coming with this language in America, like talking about America being this amazing civilization and how great America was. And um, it was for me. And at the same time, she was like, do you know what this country has done to black people? And I literally like realized I didn't have that much of a clue Mm -hmm. and I needed to speed up my understanding and you know how did you begin educating yourself documentaries so I love documentaries and PBS was probably a savior at that point um because the internet didn't have as many outlets as we have now yeah and just starting to learn from friends I started having friends who were African-American from the South or from the Midwest, which is slightly different than having, you know, black friends in, in New York. A lot of us come from the Caribbean or African background. So we story. don't always yeah. have the intergenerational understanding. Or the, the total American story. Or the, the total Caribbean American still story. The Americas. It's just, we, to even be able to put together, what I often say is, the same time things are happening here, they're happening in the rest of the world. Yep. So oftentimes when we look at information, it's so narrow. Mm-hmm. But if we looked at what was happening as a people, you would see the connection and all of that. Right. Like I was just telling, we were talking about community organization, organizers today. Um, and we we're talking about the Black Panthers had an office in Algeria. Right. Yep. You know, so it's like these organizations, we were connected. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that was the fear of the Black planet. So it's, you know, it's coming back. But we're going to keep it light, keep it light. So (laughs) (laughs) going back, going back. So I'm interested in what you did to, okay, so you're in finance at this point. You go, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, my passion is actually education and I need to bring Birthright Africa Mm -hmm. to people, to our people. Yes. What do you do next? Like, what did, did you go back to school? Did you change jobs? Did you quit? Did you, what yes, happened? All of that. So, <laughs> uh, I was starting to realize like I had to get out of uh, the finance field. Once you discover what your passion is, the blessing is that you've discovered your passion. Now you got to pursue it. Otherwise, whatever job or sector you're in is going to kill your soul every day. So, I quit cold turkey, had a little bit of money (laughs) saved and started dabbling in nonprofit work, education. I transitioned using my finance background to do financial literacy, which was a big thing at the time because the recession was starting to pick up. Credit cards were becoming issues, debt, and then obviously the whole recession did happen. Um, So I took sort of like a year and a half off, put down some ideas on the vision and mission of Birthright Africa, but I knew I needed to have a grounding of how to start an organization. I had always had the aspiration to get my MBA. Mm -hmm. So it all made sense um, once I pursued the MBA and came out of this fantastic program called Management Leadership for Tomorrow that helped me as someone about to apply to MBA, how to ensure to take, bring out the best application and discovering your passion was part of it. So that's who I discovered education as a passion through and knew that Birthright Africa was going to be the culmination of my career. Like I was working towards that being what I do for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. knowing that getting an MBA would help me understand how to build an organization, working in education, and then 
focusing specifically within college and career readiness for the last 10 years, which is what I've done, would help me understand how the Birthright Africa mission fits within the education sector. And now I have a very clear understanding of how that is. So when did you guys actually launch? When did you, before Mm -hmm. we go there, when did you take the journey um, that the students would finally take? Did you take it with them with the launch or is it something that you did on your own at first to see what you wanted people to experience? Yeah. So uh, we took it 2016. Mm-hmm. I was contacted by a young woman, Ashley Johnson, who was thinking about also doing a Birthright Africa idea. And she wanted to help launch as well. Um, and so she suggested we should go on a 10-day trip ourselves and explore it. So essentially, it was her birthright. I was able to give Ashley Johnson her first uh, her birthright experience. So she had she ever been to the continent at all? She had never been to the continent as uh, an African-American woman and had knew she wanted to live and work there. So mm. this was a way to strategically mm. find that connection and figure out how to make her come true to live on the continent because she was ready. That's amazing. America. I'd love to. I'm, I should talk to Ashley about mm-hmm. what made her want that with ever being there that desire she could tell you her story but yeah. a lot has to do with the struggle you know yeah. the system there's a lot of you do find african americans that are on the continent who've just discovered this is where i feel home and feel mm-hmm. like i can really progress to who i want to be um and not that everyone has to be on the continent to feel that um, which is why we explore here in the U.S. as well. But I can totally understand it at the same time. So needless to say, yes, 2016, there was a 10-day trip that Ashley and myself took. And after we returned, I met with uh, my co-founder, Diallo Shabazz. He was at the time working in the nonprofit education sector and was looking to launch Birthright Africa as well. Huh. And with his networks... I recognize that the two of us would be more powerful together as also an African-American man from the Midwest, myself being a continental African who's become a citizen. But, you know, that idea of unity amongst the diaspora to launch something for the diaspora felt really powerful to me. So even though he came through kind of um, later in the stages of development, it made sense. And in 2017 is when we had our first cohort go through the CUNY system, which is who Diallo connected us to, the City University of New York. Fantastic. How many um, how many students went with you for the, the first first cohort? time mm-hmm. was seven. They called themselves the BMI Sankofa 7. BMI stands for Black Male Initiative, which is the program within the City University of New York that first got connected to Birthright Africa and Sankofa, if you don't know what that means. It, it's literally the underlying principle of what we're doing. In Ghana, there are Adinkra symbols of the Ashanti culture that represent various values, and Sankofa is about knowing where you're from to know where you're going. So where all did the first cohort go? Like, how? where did, they, where did you take them? 
So like I was saying, our mission is to explore cultural roots and legacy of innovation, starting in the U.S., culminating in Africa. So mm -hmm. in the U.S., being a um, CUNY student in New York, we explored various areas of New York City where you have cultural sites, museums, and also what we call our innovation partners uh, that are organizations led and managed or owned by people of African descent really highlighting our contributions historically and present day. So we went to places like the Schomburg mm -hmm. Center for Black Research and Culture, the African burial ground that's near the Wall Street area. So and you started in New York mm -hmm. and then you go to, do you go to D.C.? We went to D.C. Mm -hmm. So it's local and national exploration, of course, with the National Museum mm -hmm. of African-American History and Culture, which the timing of its opening couldn't have been better for Birthright Africa, to really have an in-depth understanding of the African-American experience um, and meeting, obviously, leaders and entrepreneurs in that area. And then it culminates with a 10-day trip, and the First Nation was Ghana. How long in total is the program? So our program was about, uh, I would say, eight weeks okay. from start to finish, middle of June to middle of August. And uh, that's just one model within our education partner model, depending on who we partner with. So mm -hmm. we, we partner with organizations that are already looking to bring participants to Africa. We don't necessarily have to do this on our own. We have a very collaborative model. And so uh, this year for the year of return, particularly as we're scaling to send 100 scholars, we have various partners in, in addition to CUNY to do that. And it's not just in the summer. It's going to be at the end of the year as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. How do you pay for it? So we <laughs> fundraise, we hustle, unlike Birthright Israel, who started from millionaires and billionaires. Um, however, yeah, it was it was started by like a bunch of like millionaire philanthropists. Like they yeah, pulled in money for families yeah families in yep. the Jewish uh, community. We have a very collaborative model where we ask for um, fifty percent from our partnering organizations. We fundraise the rest through individuals, um, corporate donations. We just got a sponsorship from HBO, which we're really excited Ooh. about. And um, we're going to be talking to influencers, high influence, high net worth individuals. Anyone mm -hmm. interested can definitely reach out to us via our website. It costs about $4,000. To send each student? Yes, to have the Birthright Africa experience and send them to the continent. Mm -hmm. And it's a life-changing experience, as you can imagine. Yeah, I've met uh, your scholars, and I have to say, um, the during mm -hmm. and after, because I have never, I don't see them before, but I see them when they came to visit and yeah. on the panels and stuff. Um, and the after is a is a very nice change. I'm not going to say they're completely different individuals, right. but you see the change on them. You see it, it, the wisdom on them, the confidence on them. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. lot of pride that you gain from discovering roots and uncovering greatness, as we say in our tagline. It's a lot of, oh, my God, we, we did this and we contributed here and we went through this and we're still alive and... Oh my God, what my ancestors went through in the slave castles, yeah. this, the shoulders that you recognize that you stand on historically. But then also meeting amazing leaders and mm -hmm. entrepreneurs like yourself, Selma, who are, you know, starting these amazing businesses and just 
fulfilling your aspirations, it really keeps them inspired on whatever their own path is. Because ultimately, our goal as Birthright Africa is to increase the number of leaders and entrepreneurs of African descent that are, you know, part of our society, both corporations, organizations, civic society. Right now, it's only 2% mm. of the population, and we're 14 15% of the U.S. Wow. population. So there's a clear gap in talent, gap in the diversity, and we know it comes from gaps in opportunity, and then the gaps in opportunity are coming from perception deficits of who we can be, who we've um, always been historically as creators, inventors, and leaders, but there was a very intentional way of hiding all that contribution and that skill. Even the slaves, uh, the enslaved Africans that were brought over were brought over because of skill. Yeah. It wasn't that it was, oh, you're just here to yeah. labor. Like, no. no, we need people who know what they're doing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they knew which regions of Africa mm -hmm. had particular skills, whether it was yeah. like cultivating rice, textiles with the cotton. I mean, it was a very intentional economic ecosystem of taking advantage and reaping wealth. Mm-hmm which we're now saying as Birthright Africa, we have a birthright to understand this greatness so that we reverse that narrative for ourselves psychologically to then aspire to the highest heights that we can and reap the rewards of our own creativity. What I love about what you guys are doing too is in addition to, yes, you need to understand your history, you need to understand your greatness, and the mm -hmm. history needs to be presented in, in, in a true light so that you do understand it's a great history, not a horrible history. Right. Um, but what I do really like about what you're doing both here in the U.S. and on the continent is giving the scholars an opportunity to speak to entrepreneurs, innovators, and things as simple as walking into a bank that's full of black folks in mm -hmm. Accra and realizing that you could live there. Like Ashley. Mm -hmm. Ashley never came back, right? She helped bring the first cohort <laughs> in 2017, and we knew we were leaving her there to start her life on the continent. Yeah. She's still over there. She helps us with program direction and facilitation when, um, you know, the groups come this year. She was there last year for the second cohort of 10 CUNY students. This year, we're going to have community-based organizations in New York City that are, um, you know, getting scholars to apply to their programs and yeah. we're supporting the co-facilitation and co-funding and because it's the 2019 year of return we're really trying to galvanize around this 400 year history that we're commemorating mm -hmm. of the first enslaved uh, ship of Africans coming to Jamestown Virginia it's incredible to realize the history of how long that history is how long that history is and just but the how short that history is in the history short. of us, yes. right? It is short if you think about mm -hmm. the, you know, centuries of, of the existence of the planet. And one of our professors in, um, in Ghana did kind of 
help us understand that cyclical nature when you think about 400 years in the grander scheme. It's really like just the blip of history. Mm -hmm. And so with everything being cyclical, we're on this upwards journey, if you really think about it, and Africa rising, which is the narrative. Yes. And we want, as Birthright Africa, to ensure that Africans in the diaspora are part of that rising. And you have to visit. You have to see it for yourself. Otherwise... The media is your teacher because yeah. the education system is. Well, you not, have to and, make the connection and with the people, the with business, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You have to put your feet on the ground and make that connection. It's so important. Um, we encourage our listeners when making that decision of where you buy your pl- next plane ticket mm-hmm. to consider going to a beautiful post in the diaspora. This I'm at, I'm in on the continent. I keep saying this, but yes, on the continent. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Why did you start with Ghana? Like you're Sudanese. Yes. So Great it's question. interesting to me that you also can very comfortably say my birthright is Ghana. Mm-hmm. So Ghana is really a gateway to Africa for many reasons. Mainly safety is really high there. You can really walk around at 2, 3 in the morning and feel very safe. Politically, economically, it's arguably been the most stable country since its independence Mm. out of all African nations. Their current administration, and I think even dating before uh, the current president, has been very pro-business and innovation. And then generally speaking, Ghana is very welcoming of tourists, Americans, definitely African-Americans, and they just have the sweetest culture. The people are so nice. I can't even call it nice. It's a sweetness in the culture Mm. that you have to experience. Everyone's so helpful and so welcoming. I mean, literally the way they say hello is akwaba, which means welcome. So you feel that instant home Mm -hmm. vibe um, as an African descended person and I would say all of our scholars have said that too. Like Mm. there's an instant feeling of home um, especially those who come from the Caribbean and a lot of our New York scholars have Caribbean roots. A lot of them land at the airport and literally feel like they're back in their own country of like Jamaica or Barbados. It feels very similar. So to have that feeling instantly is That's like good. the life-changing moment from day one. Do you plan to expand to other countries around the continent? Yes. Of course, of course. So we have a five-year strategy and um, naturally countries like Nigeria, South Africa that are tourist destinations in addition to having very um, significant cultural relevance. Um, Even uh, places like Senegal and then in East Africa, Ethiopia is doing some amazing things Mm -hmm. in innovation, Kenya as well. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point, I'm hoping we get to Sudan. We have to you know, get through our uprising. <laughs> you just need to overthrow a few. Yeah, people. just and then everyone can. A few come. folks need to just kind of walk but, away before yeah, that happens. But, but yeah, I, it'd be honest, beautiful. I mean, would, to take the to the, the, the people the Marawi. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like I only found out what five years ago. Not even I think um, that we had pyramids. Okay, yeah. so this birthright thing is so real. Like. I got 
I did my own version of Birthright for myself only last December. Because I was going to ask you about that, too, because you spent a long time not like you talked about having been to Sudan as you were born in Sudan, left and then did first grade there. Mm -hmm. But since then, had you been back? First grade was there, fourth grade was there, and then, so if you leave at like 10, the first time I came back, I was 25. Wow. So it literally was a 15-year gap. Yeah. Um, and that first time I went, I was still, I was kind of disconnected. I mean, it's it's so insidious, this third culture kid phenomenon, if people haven't heard about it, where essentially your parents are from a country that they brought you uh, from and to typically like a westernized society in America and Europe. And so you're growing up in this other culture of America having Sudanese culture, but then you create almost like your third culture because you're a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And when you have these aspirations of America, you also unfortunately become proud to assimilate out of your own culture into American culture. So I had that identity crisis going on Mm. that was still happening at 25. So the first time I went to Sudan, I was just like kind of zoned out. And I'm like, this is, it was fun and exciting to see a lot of family be just so happy to see you for no other reason than see you. But then it was like overwhelming too, because, They want you to really connect and you're trying to figure out your own connection. And then, unfortunately, my parents didn't take us to Meroe, didn't take us to the Museum of Sudan. Like, your family doesn't always connect the fact that they need to teach you the culture because you haven't been there. Mm. So I did that this last trip for Mm. myself, going to the pyramids. When was your last trip? In December of 2018 that just passed. And I almost didn't make it because of the fear of what was happening on the streets with the protests. But I'm so glad I made it. Um, There was so much pride in just seeing people stand up for their dignity. One. And then I got to go uh, with a Sudanese American group, if you will, because we had a friend who was getting married. So I got so other third culture kids. So other third culture okay. kids and seeing how they reconcile their identity and um, see the culture of the wedding process. And then on my own, navigate going, visiting to families as opposed to being dragged by your parents, um, you know, going to the pyramids. It was just, it was phenomenal. And I finally felt that Sudanese pride that I was missing my entire life. Like, I actually want to come back here again on my own. And I would have never thought that was going to happen for me in my life. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's dope. And so I can intuitively now understand, I think, the birthright experience that the scholars are having just connecting generally to African culture because mm. I've had to do it from myself for Sudanese culture. Yeah. And... Yeah, it, there's a level of confidence and pride that really carries you for the rest of your life. Well, first, you have to figure out what your cause is, like what moves you as an individual, what has happened in your own life, your family life, your particular community that makes you want to make that difference and 
once you identify that area, whether it's education, health related, um, you know, environment related. I like what you're saying because you're saying that I should be as passionate almost about it as you are. Yep. So, you know, like you get up every day and you say, you know what? Birthright Israel, it hits something in me. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, that's why I'm such a big supporter of yours, too. I, lo- I love what you're doing. It yeah. rings true to me. Yeah. I don't have to convince you because you've already, yeah. this is already something within you. Yeah. I mean, my life's work is about connecting the diaspora as well. Exactly. Like that's where we'll find our power. But I love how you're phrasing that. It's just like, yeah, y'all, what are you into? Like, Yeah. And whenever you see a problem and you get you get upset, you're reading the news, you're mad. Mm-hmm. You see a headline, it upsets you and you're thinking about it three hours after you read it. Yep. Find, Do something about look, it. Look it up. We're, I'm sure someone is already doing something. Yes. Yeah. And if not, you can start something, but that's a different, that's a whole different story. Well, but I like a lot wait. of times you can just Google it. Google nonprofit. I'm mad about recidivism. Yep. I'm super mad about it. I just read the story. I'm superbly upset about recidivism. Look it up. Find a location, a nonprofit in your area. You can use resources like GuideStar and Charity Navigator. They have mm-hmm. ratings. If it has a five stars, it's just like using, you know, Grubhub. If it has five stars, donate. If it doesn't, other people are already doing this work for you. So mm-hmm. they're trying. Yeah. The but I think sector. the important thing there, too, is that we do read a lot of stories about charities yeah. that are not using the money for what they're supposed to. And big ones, big established ones um, that where the money isn't really going. So. That's great information, Dougie, with the five star and what was the other one that you could look up it's charities? Guide Star and Charity Navigator. And Charity Navigator. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Guide Star just um got merged though with the Foundation Center. They're calling yeah. themselves Candid. So they're the Foundation Center is excellent. They're, yeah, they're the, all excellent. It's like a library database resource. And email the nonprofit directly, speak to the founders or the executive director, have them share with you what their programmatic impact has been. If they've been a long-standing organization, they should have financial reporting that can show you where their money has actually gone Mm -hmm. to make that impact. And so a nonprofit should be more than willing to be public. We're actually public organizations. We're required to disclose everything. To disclose everything. So you can find out easily if there's an issue. And most uh, places, like all other companies, have a reputation or a brand for what they do. Out of curiosity, what have been some of your challenges starting Birthright Africa? Um... Well, initially it was just time because I was <laughs> dabbling having full-time work or part-time work while launching uh, the last two years. I have since gone full-time, so I'm excited that 2019, the year of return, we um, get to have me as a full-time staff member, and it's setting up setting us up for this five-year scale strategy where we're looking to impact 5,000 scholars over the next five years and expand to cities across the United States and the five nations in Africa that we want to go to. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's, um, it's always funding when it comes to nonprofits. So finding not only the, the resources, but the right resources. So I'm also very 
intentional, which I think is why I started with that answer, like figure out what you're passionate about. Because ultimately as a nonprofit, I want to immediately talk to and connect to a donor or a supporter that this is already part of their passion. Mm -hmm. Once I find you, communicating to you is not going to be difficult. Um, And so right now we're in the process of targeting our donor list and determining who are the organizations looking for those next global leaders and entrepreneurs of African descent that are going to be proud, confident, and connected to the continent, Mm -hmm. especially as the continent becomes this um, go-to place for business and innovation from U.S. companies that want to engage the continent. You want Birthright Africa scholars in your companies because they are going to be the ones to help you drive that Mm. growth and innovation within your organization. Um, And so there's a very strategic uh, development plan around the companies, but also the education partners that are already looking to bring this opportunity to their youth and young adults of African descent. And we're finding them, they're finding us. The blessing that we have in our name, Birthright Africa, going back to your point about how do you find what um, nonprofits are doing, people have the same reaction when they hear Birthright Israel or they say to themselves, I want to go to Africa or I wish this was an opportunity that I could have done when I was younger. And so they literally Google Birthright Africa and we pop up as the first line. I didn't do any SEO or marketing. Like That's we a great just, name. We just, it's such a simple mm-hmm. name. And that's what I recognized in 2007 when I registered the website and just held on. I was like, this is a brand name. I'm building a brand. That's the other thing when it comes to nonprofits. You have to be very clear about what you're doing specifically. And we see ourselves as an umbrella organization supporting others on the ground. And luckily, the education systems and the CBOs see that as well. Mm-hmm. And they're coming to us saying, yes, let's collaborate. It's important because in from your origin story, you mm-hmm. weren't the only one. I'm you just kept connecting one. with somebody else that was like, I want to do Birthright Africa. I want to do I'm Birthright Africa. I'm sure like one yeah. of a million people. Yeah. And for some reason... It just dawned on me to register the website in 07 because I was like, I have to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And getting the MBA and having the background that I have um, culturally and educationally and being in the work of education for the last 10 years has just allowed me to connect all the dots so that this Birthright Africa mission and vision also speaks to everyone else that has had the idea. Mm-hmm. and can find themselves fitting in it where it makes sense. Um, and collaboration is just the way I've always worked as a professional. Mm-hmm. I can thank Goldman Sachs for that. It's a very collaborative culture. And then as a people, we have the African proverb and the saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I'm you know, looking to stick to that model and undo this myth around us as crabs in a barrel. Like, I've never really felt that. I know that's a true experience for some people, but it's part of those deficit narratives we, amongst ourselves, as we're fixing, as we're community building, 
have to let go of. Otherwise, we're succumbing to what they want us to believe. Oh, it's the fear of it, too. Yeah. It's just don't move, because if you move, somebody's going to take you down, but yeah. then you're not moving. You're immobile at that yeah. point. It's like, no, no, I don't no, need go, go. to, like, it's not about this idea being mine. It's just about how can I get as many people involved in the idea and execute it in a way where it will have impact. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, nonprofits that are doing the work care about the impact mm -hmm. on the community. It's not about even the amount of dollars you necessarily raise. There are nonprofits who've had so much impact with little dollars, but they've just figured out what they need to do to create impact. I mean, think of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It was literally just a hashtag. Mm -hmm. and galvanize people on their own to do what needed to get done to represent that that statement. That's great. I have a question for you. Yes. So my question to you is, um, are there any, like, movements out there that you know of or any nonprofits that you know of that kind of would like to essentially make birthright africa's mission as part of like a reparations sort of <laughs> law or package Ooh. and the reason why i ask that is because i feel like the i mean people always talk about like getting money for reparations mm -hmm. and all these other things and granted there's a lot of great ideas but i feel like the number one thing we need to change is the mentality that we feel about ourselves yeah and if we change that about ourselves we'll be able to you know, essentially how you feel about yourself reflects upon the people upon other people who don't look like you. And for me, I've yeah. seen I've seen it firsthand because, I mean, they know this. I grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood. My wife's actually Jewish. Mm. And like I've been to Israel and I've seen what Birthright does for that community. Like yep. they how they feel, how that makes them feel about themselves. That's it. So. Mm -hmm. You know, and for me, like, granted, like, I've been, I've been to the continent, I've been to, went to South Africa, mm -hmm. and like, granted, I don't have any, I don't have any fam familial ties to South Africa that I know of or anything right. like that. But it was really powerful for me, like, and mm -hmm. so like, I'm just curious to know if there's any, any sort of uh, any anybody that's trying to have like a push to make some sort of legislation. I know reparations is always something that's always like a pie in the sky idea, but but, but no, I think it'll be because a, that's huge. I don't know if you realize. <laughs> Um, there's been talk, like yeah. real talk over mm -hmm. the last literally just couple of weeks. Yeah. And I don't know who started it, but I've seen Tenahasi Coast's name mm. uh, around how he's actually taken this concept and helped make it a legitimate policy uh, debate. So I need to read the articles on that. David Brooks, conservative columnist from mm. the New York Times, has basically recognized and changed his mindset mm -hmm. on understanding the need for reparations yeah. for African-Americans. So it's a very real possible thing. I mean, even presidential candidates yeah, in the Democratic yeah, Committee. That's, that's, that's where I think yeah. it started. Guys, I've heard a few um, of them mentioned. Well, Miranda it. did the whole weed thing. Was that her name? Who? The one that was running for U.S. Cynthia Nixon. I mean, yeah, Cynthia, Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia. She was, yeah, yeah. yeah, New York governor. And yeah, she, she was yeah, like, she everybody was should get weed reparations, which I actually understood <laughs> her point. Yeah. No, I've people took it. No, it. but people took it out. It was like, if it's going to come in as an industry mm. and you're going to have all these people incarcerated falsely right. for all these years for it, she just didn't have enough time to explain her whole point. Oh. So oh. it's not one of those it's, half points you leave it's out It's funny there. you mentioned that. But the whole point. Uh, I didn't yeah. really have a problem with it. Yeah. But wait, yeah. so one person. Very narrow. Yeah. So yeah. to this point of reparation, one 
a person who's a supporter and collaborated with Birthright Africa found us because she was looking for her own research. She was a master's student of social work. She was doing a project around reparations. And if there was going to be reparations, what would be possible ways to use them? Mm -hmm. And in her mind, well, if you've been stolen from your land, part of the reparation can be to reconnect you to the land. So she found organizations that were looking to um, bring people back to their land. And that's the other thing that Birthright Africa recognized. We're not the only ones doing this. We just see ourselves as an umbrella support to everyone else within the age range that we want to impact. So she found Birthright Africa and said, this is, in her mind, this Mm. is the kind of organization that reparations should be going to because they could literally make that connection. So Mm -hmm. absolutely, we see ourselves as a benefactor, if you will, Mm -hmm. if this legitimately um, and I, I want to say when it legitimately becomes Well, also as the engine, real. because you guys will be practiced and mm. would have done this exactly. and will understand how to get people home. And what I like about what you guys are doing is the educational component. It's not like I'm taking mm-hmm. you to some museum and I'm leaving you yep. there. You guys know your scholars. You know what they're interested in. You know that the kind of innovation partners and other entrepreneurs that they want to meet. Yep. And I think that's important to just like see people while you're making that connection, you know right. what I'm saying? And if you think about where reparations in general could really make an impact, we could say education, health, and housing, right? Mm-hmm. Would probably be those foundational areas that can't were get that impacted. Here. Yeah. yeah, you can't get that here. Yeah. You can I get mean, that somewhere warm and pretty. Ooh, yeah. Like, really? <laughs> the point being, yeah. education is what we're doing, and we have a very clear understanding of the impact, which is to get our youth and young adults to be the leaders, entrepreneurs of the 21st century globally, Mm. fulfilling their aspirations. And what else is reparations supposed to do but help you be the most um, actualized human? Trying to make you whole. Right, and repairing. As best as you can. Trying to make you whole. And years the later. idea of self knowledge and self love yeah. is literally a core part of what the birthright experience yeah, does. That's the most powerful thing that they took away from us in, the, mm-hmm. in my mind. This continent, this beautiful place we speak of, it's all an idea. Yeah. You know? So it's like if we stop believing in it and it's like Santa's sleigh, it's not going to fly. Mm-hmm. So you need the people to feel the connection. It's the people make the continent, the land doesn't make the continent. So we need the people, and the people need to stay connected to the land. And for so long, when you're growing up in America or, you know, wherever your family landed in the diaspora, the Caribbean, Africa feels so far and inaccessible, Mm -hmm. right? Literally, physically, Mm -hmm. an ocean away. Then you've never really studied it. Our parents, right, baby boomers... They kind of kept separated, right? Mm -hmm. The Caribbean culture from African culture from African-American culture. But Gen X and millions, like, we're going to school together. We're working together. We don't have the same um, sort of misperceptions of each other. And so we want to reconnect. um, And we're just now making it more accessible for folks. But once you go, you're going to want to go on your own. Like, 
every single one of our scholars is like, yeah, I'm coming back again. And I even have scholars who are like, every single day I think about Ghana and I want to go back. And it, it just literally flips the script for you and wants you to continue the self-discovery, mm-hmm. which I think what happened is subconsciously, because if you're not hearing the stories from your parents, you're not seeing it in school and the media is telling you Africa is war, poverty and disease, right? Like, let's be real. Part of the issue is like, we're just not seeing the real Africa on TV. You don't even recognize that this is something valuable for yourself to understand about self and my connection to this Mm -hmm. continent. Mm -hmm. It's so devalued that you don't even know to value it. It's like, the first yeah. step to change is awareness and we're not just even aware. And I'm speaking about myself. Like, I didn't think it was important to study my own history and culture mm. until I was faced with facts of, but why don't I understand this and this part of my life or what I see going on in society? Oh, oh, I just, oh, I need to know this. Oh, I need to understand history and culture. And it actually impacts me when I'm in these corporate settings, especially predominantly white, because if I'm not coming in there proud, confident, sitting at the table, voicing myself, Mm -hmm. what kind of contribution am I making? None. And that comes from a place of grounding and Mm self-love and just pride that if you haven't studied who you are and who you are today and meeting networks of leaders and entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. you're just, you're going to be lost. I got, I got one more question in regards to your, non- in regards yeah. to your nonprofit though. Um, another question is, you know, since, I mean, since the U S wasn't like the only, obviously wasn't the only country involved in the slave trade. Is mm-hmm. there any other equivalent organizations in other countries that you guys have been, collaborate with because in my mind I feel like there should be a birthright Africa in all these other countries yeah. too and really like in, in in connection of fixing and connecting the diaspora it's mm-hmm. like there should be these organizations you know in all the other countries that participated and you guys should work like collaborate like I would imagine like mm-hmm. if you guys work collaboratively with any other organizations from so other countries. we don't um, right now, only because we're two years in and have mm. our five-year scale strategy for the U.S., mm. but we've got the interest from mm. folks in the U.K., mm. folks in the Caribbean. One of our executive board members is uh, from the Caribbean, so he's already yeah. like, can Walla, like, I need the Caribbean folks to know and feel connected to the continent. I'm like, okay, great. Let's start having those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. This is a global movement mm-hmm. and it's going to get there. Yeah. It's just not there at the exact, at uh, this moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was just kind of curious if there was any any of them that you know of or were working with. I was just curious if there's any like equivalents. Like I said, not in... exactly right now, but mm-hmm. there will be. Okay. Like I believe our executive board member is connecting with folks he knows at the University of the West Indies, mm-hmm. which is a very reputable and large university system, right? Mm-hmm. Within the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, because we're headquartered in New York, we have the advantage of the entire diaspora here, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so we get to touch and yeah. say we've impacted everyone from yeah. that perspective. Yeah. But ultimately, it 
it should be everywhere. Oh, it's just going to grow. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It has to. Yeah. Yeah. We need it. Mm. I mean, like a lot of the collective efforts that you guys are doing Mm -hmm. with your collaborators and your entrepreneurs and the scholars who are going to eventually contribute and become the entrepreneurs. Exactly. It's just going to be cyclical. I mean, Mm -hmm. long term, um, and I, you know, I'll debut this with you guys. We have alumni now, right? We have 17 young people who have gone through this program. We're starting to think about how do we engage our alumni. One of the things coming out of the program is we have them career map a legacy of innovation for themselves. Mm -hmm. So we want to track that you are actually going to aspire to what we hope that you become and help change the current dismal statistic of only 2% of us here in the U.S. leading, managing, and owning. And as you're building that legacy of innovation, are you also building the wealth that you should be generating from that and then ensuring that it transfers to the next generation? So in my mind, we need like a legacy and build wealth, wealth building institute Mm -hmm. to help our alumni navigate, especially from what I'm finding out in the U.S., like estate planning, it's a very litigious process of paperwork and ensuring continuity of your wealth for yourself while you're alive and then what happens upon your death. And what we know is those families and those um, companies that do this well is who maintain power and influence and can do some really negative things to others. And so if we're starting to think this way, then we really get back to the communal um, spirit of our indigenous cultures in this 21st century setup. Just speaking more practically, what Mm -hmm. in the next, to achieve your five-year scale strategy, what do you need? We need funding. We need foundations who really want to make an impact with African-descended young people. If you really... So there's a ton of nonprofits and foundations that talk about supporting Black youth, wanting to create the next leaders, mm-hmm. but really come need to come to the table with understanding who should be leading that fight, right? Or leading that cause. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier, the idea of allowing the voices in the room that are truly making the impact. Um, And we believe we are that. So collaborate with us. Give us the funding. Give us the the visibility as Birthright Africa, which will always be led by people of African descent, um, to ensure that we can impact 5,000 and then ultimately, hopefully in 15 years, 650,000, the way Birthright (laughs) Israel has. Um, We need the African governments to come to the table, high net worth individuals, high influence those forks are starting to come to the table. I think once people realize the value of what your product is mm-hmm. and that being the human resource of the confident, able individual that can sit down at the table and yep. say, I have my foundation, mm-hmm. 
um, hopefully governments do step up and come to the table and yeah. other organizations say, you know, this is part of a program that I need to accomplish the rest of this curriculum. Yeah. I need the students to be at this point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So just speaking, if an individual is lis- listening to this, mm-hmm. is inspired, what would you ask them to do? You can go to our campaign page and sponsor a scholar for $4,000. Help us ensure that we can get to 100 scholars for the 2019 year. We're on a campaign for raising $400,000 to do so. And um, let us know where you can support outside of even money. Do you have... um, community-based organizations that are looking to provide this opportunity for young people in your community. We get outreach from folks like that because, again, we're this uh, collaborative model. If you're connected to the press, we're trying to get the word out about what we're doing. And um, if you're connected to diversity or inclusion-related programming within your corporation, reach out to us, let us know, because that could be a corporate sponsorship opportunity. If you're working within the airline industry, let us know. We're looking for sponsorship for airlines. There's a whole host of of ways to support. Just reach out. At birthrightafrica.org. Yeah, and we'll put all that in our our notes for our listeners um, to get to your uh, website. Um, And I think the major takeaway here is find the passion you're interested in, find the organization that's doing that work and support in any way you can. Um, That could be money. That could be your time, Mm -hmm. you know, bodies on the ground. You talked about a litigious process. You're an attorney. You want to donate some time. They need some help. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Time, resources, extra supplies. It's your business. So that's our show for today. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. All the links and handles that they'll need to donate to Birthright Africa um, to find your website and learn more about you. Yes, and follow us. Yes, at Birthright Africa, Facebook, (laughs) Instagram, LinkedIn. We'll put the links up for them (laughs) um, in the show notes and on thebrownceo.com. I want to thank our wonderful sponsor, the Brown Crayon Project, and our family here at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. Uh, We want to hear from you. Keep the conversation going. Tell us what you think. Talk to us on Twitter at The Brown CEO. Subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes. Just go to thebrownceo.com for everything. All right. Thank y'all.